The scripture reading this morning is about an encounter between um, Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. And um, if you've ever seen this story illustrated in a, in a children's Bible, um, it usually shows Zacchaeus as um, short, which it describes, um, overweight for some reason, and, uh, and kind of this jolly man. But that would be very far from the truth. The short part, yes. That's why I was thinking about John Trainer. Wondering how the narrative would have changed if it was that. But because he was a tax collector, think of someone closer to like bail bondsman kind of a guy. Tax collectors then were kind of like legalized thugs for the Roman government. They would shake down citizens for taxes. So jolly? No. <laughs> you had to be tough. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means that he was overseeing the tough guys. And as long as the government got their due, if the tax collectors were able to get more, skim off, so be it. So that's why he was also rich, as it says, and hated. So with that, let's read our scripture passage together from Luke 19. <clears throat> Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because Jesus was going to pass that way. So when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome Jesus. But all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. May God bless our hearing, our living of this word of abundant life. Amen. So when I was a kid, I used to love to pour through every page of the Sears catalog. That's kind of along the lines of maps, right? Some of you may not even know a Sears catalog. <clears throat> Sears catalogs 
Um, I, I, you know, I, I did this too. I, I realized this morning as I was thinking about this, why did I do that? And I thought, well, cell phones hadn't been invented yet, right? So you could look through a Sears catalog and they had everything, everything. My gosh, they had clothes. Remember the Sansabelt stretch elastic waist pants? Thank God I never had a pair of those, but now they call this loungewear, right? <laughs> they had to toys. They had tools of every kind. They had lawnmowers, everything from car tires to candy. But as a kid, I was amazed and I was amused at this. I was also confused. I was confused at the same time because as I would flip through, I would see on some pages, sometimes they would have three of the same thing. And one was labeled good, one was labeled better, and one was labeled best. Best, right? And they would be selling each one of these things. And it could be a post hole digger, three choices, good, better, best. Tire pump, three choices, good, better, best. I was intrigued, I was baffled by this as a kid because I was thinking I couldn't wrap my mind around why would anyone come right out and advertise that they're offering something that's less than their very best? I didn't get it. I mean, could you imagine if you went into a restaurant? You go, sit down, you go, I would like veal parmesan, please. And they would say, sure, would you like our good, better, or best? You're about to have surgery, the surgeon says to you, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or a sermon, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see what we're going to get today. I don't know. <laughs> so here's the thing. At what level of life do you want to live? Good, better, or best? I knew a guy, Laura and I actually knew this same guy, whose motto was, why reach for the stars when you can touch the ceiling? <laughs> we were distant acquaintances. We did not hang out together, really. But all this makes me think about five things. New Year's, Christmas Eve, Zacchaeus, our faith, and most of all, life. So let's start with Christmas Eve. <clears throat> On Christmas Eve, towards the end of the service, Laura and I and, and the deacons, we get to stand right there. And we get to look out on your faces, a sea of faces, as we're lighting candles during silent night. And the music is playing softly and we're surrounded by this beauty, except at nighttime. And there are hundreds of candles lit in the sanctuary, and we have the Christmas tree and the greenery and the poinsettias, and it's just beautiful. We're sitting there maybe with our families, definitely with our church family. And I get to look out and see your beautiful faces, and I see this warm glow. 
I see goodness, I see love. At that moment, everything is okay. And at that moment, every year, I can see you soaking that in. And it's sanctuary. It's oasis. And it's a beautiful state of being. It's an ideal state of being. So there's good, better, and then there's best. And I think about that, and I, I, I think that a lot of people would be able to access that kind of state and being, to be able to step into that more often than just once a year. Like, how about if you were able to step into that at the end of a bad day? Horrible day, you go, ah. Or maybe even in the midst of a bad day, if you get really good at it. Or how about when the kids or your boss or the state of the world just gets to be too much? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to slip into that kind of warm glow of well-being where you are at one, at one moment, when all is right, and it's a state of equanimity, well-being for all. And that, of course, is what our faith is about. Our faith is about how to get there and how to stay there and how to help others along so that they can get there and they can stay there. And that happens through our decisions and through our actions because it's hard to get there and stay there if you're wrestling with basic needs, isn't it? So we taste some of this on Christmas Eve. And our faith wants to be able to provide this all the time. And this is part of what the word salvation means. Being in this state of at-oneness with God and at one with yourself and at one with those with whom you are in relationship, and at one with the world. It's a state of reconciliation, coming together, equanimity, salvation, atonement. And you know, when you take that word, atonement, and you and you stretch it out, that word atonement becomes what? Becomes at one-ment. At one-ment. 
not fighting with yourself. Being reconciled with your own soul, with others, and with God. So when Jesus said to Zacchaeus in our scripture passage, this person who was a pretty nasty guy, but something changed. He said, salvation has come to your house or to this house, following his rapid transformation. Zacchaeus had become reconciled through what was going on with him and through the commitment that he made, saying, I'm going to do this, which was very radical. He became reconciled with God, with his own soul, and with those with whom he was in relationship. Now, it's interesting because you look at that word salvation, and a lot of times we think of it as a, as a theological, you know, dogmatic, doctrinal, you know, doctrinal, something like that, something that like Jesus is doing to you. Me and God, you know, I'm saved. Instead of this being some kind of a metaphysical granting by Jesus of some cosmic blessing upon Zacchaeus, Jesus was more recognizing at that moment what happened. Oh, <laughs> it'll be okay. It'll be okay. There you go. And with that, it's okay. Um, so Jesus is really recognizing what happened instead of conferring something. He recognizes what happened through this process that brought atonement at one meant to Zacchaeus in all these ways, where as a result, salvation, the sought-after sense of being in right relationship, as Buddhism calls it, being at one, this occurred, and it occurred as a result of the many steps and many actions that Zacchaeus took in relationship with Jesus. And in doing this, he, in fact, created peace with others, himself and his own soul. He turned instantly from being a rotten person, as we talked about, to having this sudden kind of awareness. And the transformational moment of this was <clears throat> at the moment when his warm heart and his glow that we all love to experience, which is actually pretty easy to get for a few moments. But when that was married with actions to maintain it, and that's the secret. Commitment to his actions. With that, he was no longer divided with himself or with other people. As a result, he rectified his wrongs. At one moment, happened. Good, better, best. And then with what happened to him, there was a whole nother level called renewal. And this is what the scripture is about. Interchange occurring. The process of seeking, inviting wholeness, inviting Christ into his home, literally and figuratively, 
putting in the effort, the action, receiving, experiencing that glow, locking that in, following up with the actions. When all these ways come together, the spiritual, emotional, material, psychological, metaphysical, combined with social action, justice, when it all comes together with God's presence, that's salvation. It's good. It's very good. And because this is so central to our faith and to our being, because there were actually so many steps involved in this, even though it kind of seems like it happens really fast, through this rapid process, when we, when we take it apart, there's a lot that we can learn. And because of all this, and because it's 11 o'clock, <laughs> We're going to continue this next week. <laughs> and we're going to be taking a closer look, frame by frame, at this process unfolding to see how to apply this to our own lives. May you be well. <laughs> to be continued. Amen. <laughs>